Welcome to another episode of the Examine Life podcast, where we take some of life's thorniest questions and deconstruct them in a way that is pragmatic and philosophical so that you can lead a more productive, examined, and joyful life. My name is Kehi. Today, we're going to tackle one of my favorite topics, networking. And specifically, our question is, what does 5,192 networking meetings look like? But before we jump into that question, just want to give you a heads up that we are running a January New Year's group coaching cohort, limited at eight slots. Check it out, radreads.co slash coaching to get your New Year's resolutions on. All right, let us dig into 5,192 networking meetings. Yes, there's that book, Keith Ferrazzi, Never Eat Alone, right? And I never read it, but I got the summary from ChatGPT. But basically, if you take 5,192 networking meetings, and I am 44 and a half years old, so I've been in the workforce for uh, nearly 25 years, and divide that by the number of workdays, that comes out to about 0.9 networking meetings per workday since I turned 21. And... I could back up the statistics with you. There are some days where it was like four or five, some some years where it was four networking meetings a day, right? You heard me on other episodes talk about double breakfast where I would meet someone at seven, meet someone at eight and get to the office by nine. So yes, 5,192 networking meetings, um, definitely something that makes me come alive. But let's think about what what are things that, you have done on average once a weekday for 24, 25 plus years, right? Sleep, brushing your teeth, eating, probably not exercise. Um, Getting intimate with your partner, probably not. Um, What else? Reading, maybe, scrolling social media. there's not that many things that you can do on average, you know, one once a day per weekday. And I'm going to break that down with you about how this was such an important part of my life, such a rewarding part of my life that's actually going to flip the script on anything you might have ever heard about networking. In fact, I don't even want to use that word anymore because it actually misrepresents what we're actually going to be talking about. We've called it groundswells of generosity, uh, genuine, authentic relationship building. So let's jump in. But first, you're probably wondering like, well, okay, so you met all these people over the course of your life, 5,192 people, uh, some are repeats. What, What has that brought you, right? What has that brought you? So I will go on a limb and say that pretty much everything good that has happened to me professionally in my life has been the result of authentic relationship building. It has led to um, business opportunities. It has led to investment opportunities. It has led, it's gotten me into conferences as speakers, press, things that I had no business getting into, but it was all through this spirit and ethos uh, of relationship building. But mostly what was so incredible about all of these quote unquote meetings 
it's just a number of friends that have come out of this. And I know you're probably really skeptical. You're really saying to yourself, this is super transactional. It seems so icky. It seems so manipulative. He's leading with all the things that it has brought him. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what it's brought me. Incredible friends, right? And we'll talk about that. What, what is it actually? You talk to someone twice a year, are they a friend? I don't know. We, we can, we can talk about that later, but showing up with people for people over multiple decades with care is really changed my life. And I hope that you take some lessons out of this too. We're going to give you six homework assignments throughout this present, this talk, this presentation, this video. So take notes and let us jump in. So first thing I want to talk about some networking principles that I have, or I should say authentic relationship building, but that takes too long. So when I say networking, I mean authentic relationship building, but here are the principles. The first principle that I have is if I know that two people would benefit from knowing one another, then it's my duty to introduce them as long as they want to, right? So that's an important one. If two people need to know each other and I know about it, then it's my duty to connect them, which actually jives with a... You could call this principle 1A or maybe principle 2 that is the basis of everything I've done at RadRaise, which is if I know something that could be helpful to you or someone else, a stranger even, I feel a deep, deep sense of responsibility to share it with you. And if you look at the newsletter, the blog, the YouTube channel, all of it is Hey, I found something that could be helpful for you. I want you to have it for free, right? So those principles of networking and sharing information are truly deeply intertwined. Next principle, it always starts with me trying to make the other person better. That ties from what I just said. Um, next principle, I don't expect anything. When I network, when I connect people, when I share information, I don't expect anything in return. And you could say, you could call BS on that. You could say, well, you know that in the back of your mind that there's some benefit that this is going to really come back to you. Karma boomerang. Yes. Okay. I'll give that to you. I accept that there is a karmic boomerang for putting out goodness in relationships into the world. I accept that. But that's the only thing is like the possibility of the karmic boomerang, right? So yes, shame on me. I was, there is something in it for me. It's the karmic boomerang, right? And then lastly, which jives with my general life ethos is to just be a squishy love ball. And you're probably like, what, what does that mean, right? That's, it is how my daughters speak, but it really is just this ethos of warmth, of love, of, of curiosity. I care for you, right? I really care for you. I hope you see in these videos and these podcasts, I really freaking care for you all. Now, what does that look like over 5,192 different meetings? All right. So let us kick in first with concept number one, givers, takers, matchers. Now, this is 
a concept from Adam Grant's book, Give and Take, an incredible book, which in which he says that there are three types of people when it comes to building relationships. There are takers, there are matchers, and there are givers. So the takers are obvious. They're the ones when you're talking to them at a cocktail party and they're looking over your shoulder for someone more. They're, they're, they're talking, they're using as a way station until they find someone more interesting to talk to, right? The takers are also the ones that will cold email you out of the blue. Hey, can you promote my book? Hey, I saw that you're the CFO at this company. Can you hire my nephew, right? They just come out of the blue asking for shit right? You're not a taker. You wouldn't be watching this if you were a taker. But it's important to know that takers are out there and to spot them and to just keep them at arm's length, right? Next up, this is probably where most of y'all will fall in the category is being a matcher. Now, a matcher is kind of the quid pro quo. I scratch your back, you scratch my back, right? I help you with this project. You're going to help me with uh, this introduction, I invest in your deal, you invest in my deal, right? Those are matchers. And matching is a very kind of human construct, desire, right? Because we, we desire fairness, right? We want things to be fair, to be just, to be equal. And so if, if I'm going to help you, of course I want you to help me back, right? So matchers are the quick pro quo, and that's like a natural way of being it fits into our patterns as humans. But I want to introduce a third idea, which is that of the giver. And I already introduced it with the principle, but the giver just says, hey, I'm here to serve. And I don't expect anything in return. The act of serving brings me joy. Now you're going to say, oh, well, then that's selfish. You get joy from the act of service. Sure. I get, act, I get joy from the act of serving. Taker, givers get joy from the act of serving. And yes, they do believe in the karmic boomerang, but they don't expect it, right? So the question that always arises here is, well, matchers, like not everyone's a giver. How do I deal with matchers, right? Let's say you need to raise capital, raise investments, sales, right? How can you be a giver when you need something from that person, right? And so here's the thing. What, what I would say to that person is the world has matchers and you can drop into a matching capability, but all parties should be aware that this is a matching type transaction, right? I scratch your back, you scratch mine. You might even go a step further and just say, hey, what is the expectation in this relationship? What do you expect from me? Right? People will often slide into my DMs and they'll say, hey, will you um, speak at my online summit? And I always say, sure, I'd be interested. What is the expectation? Right? Because sometimes they just like, hey, we think your ideas are great. We want to highlight them. Sometimes they say, we would like you to use your email list to promote our summit. So just get the expectations out in the open when you're dealing with matches. It's just, then it just becomes a business transaction. Let's not pretend that we're going to be fucking friends. It's a business transaction and you get something from me. I get something from you. Like you should be a matcher, but what we're going to talk about here and beyond is well beyond 
the categories of matchers. All right, next up, let's talk about the strength of weak ties. This is another principle that really animates my life, my career. It's so powerful, fucking beautiful, the strength of weak ties. So this principle was originally uh, started by a social psychologist by the name of Mark uh, Granovetter in the 70s. And then it was adapted by the founder of LinkedIn, ironic, Reid Hoffman, in uh, the early 2000s. And so this principle, the strength of weak ties basically says that if you're looking to access new opportunities, and in this particular case, it was job opportunities, you have to look for your weak ties. These are your casual acquaintances, not your day one homies, right? And so if you think of your day one, your, your strong ties, it's the people you went to college with, your direct coworkers, the people that you talk to on a regular basis, right? And what happens if you were to look at a map of a network, you would see that these people would all be really clustered together. And so if you're looking for access to something new, then you need to step out of that cluster into a new doorway to another cluster. And so this research showed, um, they had this famous study, I'm gonna butcher it a bit, but where they tracked how people were getting jobs. They were responding to job ads and they tracked the pathways uh, through um, the connectivity of, of the job process, job search process. And it was the people that had the most weak ties that were able to get jobs easier. Now, this makes a lot of sense too in the echo chambers that we live in, right? We're only surrounding ourselves with people who whose ideas we find acceptable. We are tribalism of Bitcoin or AI or left politics or right politics, right? We just go in there. And so you can start to see that these bridging, they're called bridging networks, when you kind of network into another cluster. And that is um, a core, a core, it's a philosophy, but I think it's even, it goes beyond that. It's just a massive, massive benefit to be able to leave your cluster of information, of opportunities, of ideas, right? Now we get, Reid Hoffman took, that's what prompted him to start LinkedIn, is he recognized the strength and weak ties. It's that person that you see at the conference once a year is more a more fertile connection than the college friends that you go and watch football with every weekend, right? And so LinkedIn was trying to basically map those weak find a way to basically connect those weak ties together. So, but it, it really is important that this extends beyond jobs. This is how you get exposure to new ideas. This is how you start to see the world through a different lens is when you embrace these weak ties. So many of the tactics and the approaches that we're gonna talk about are around strengthening 
these weak ties. Now, again, you might say like, okay, you're being super, super transactional right now, right? You're just like thinking about what can this person bring to me? What does this person um, get for me? What knowledge does this person have that I don't have? And what I say back to you is if you approach it with service and genuine care and curiosity, then you're just expanding into different clusters. You are a, I've called it a heat seeking missile of love, right? How do you bring your energy, your curiosity, your intelligence, your own assets into these other relationships from a place of service? So we'll give you your, uh, your first homework assignment, which is who are some weak ties in your orbit? Right. Remember, again, these aren't your day ones. These aren't the people you interact with regularly. They have some connectivity to you. Maybe you used to work with them eons ago. Maybe they live in your old town. Maybe it's a, a parent at your school. Right. So write down five weak ties that you vibe with them. You know, something about them. You vibed with them when you met them at the conference a decade ago or at the pickup line. Just write down those five and we'll pick up that list later in this exercise. And I'll say, I'll add there, I used to challenge myself at a conference, right? And again, you could say conferences are a little, you know, they could be all, it's a little hard because they could be all strong ties because everyone's in the same industry or they could all be all weak ties because it's all kind of scattered geographically and so on. Um, but I remember I used to challenge myself at a conference when I would, there were the people that I knew at the conference. I'm gonna, I said to myself, I'm gonna just try to strike up a conversation with a complete stranger, right? And so I'd kind of go over to, you know, hey, what do you think of the calamari? Or it wouldn't be that corny, but kind of, you know, I'm a pretty social person, but I'm very shy in terms of meeting strangers, right? And so you could kind of challenge yourself sometime to kind of get out of that, that just like meet new people, right? And put yourself out there a little bit. Could be dating, could be at conferences, could be at a parent meeting. I, I talk about parent meetings a lot because it's kind of like dating in your 40s where you bring all these parents with all their friends and all their pre-ingrained um, beliefs and you're like, now you all need to be friends because your kids are going to be friends, right? So, all right. Now let's go to how do you start meeting people? So a common question that we'll get is, how do I start meeting people? And there is no easy answer here, but let's talk about it in, uh, in two words. Let's talk about it in the physical world and let's talk about it in the digital world. So in the physical world first is, again, like I said, just be the ability to put yourself out there, right? So if you're able to put yourself out there and there's so many different ways you can do it. Uh, I remember when I was younger, it was different like sport, sporting type leagues, you know, like Zog Sports in New York, where you play, uh, you play dodgeball or indoor soccer with a bunch of people around your age. You go grab a few beers after, right? There was a New York Roadrunners Club where you'd run around Central Park. Again, there's always like food after. Here in LA, there's all the Venice Running Club. There's, you know, a lot of different running groups, exercise groups, affinity groups, right? Volunteering um, would be another one. Taking classes. There's such a Toastmasters. There's such a culture now of general assembly of, of taking classes. And so 
there's so many different ways to just get into new pockets uh, of people. And look, at the beginning, it can take, can feel very difficult, right? You kind of go into a, uh, like join a dodgeball team where you know literally no one there, but you'd be surprised, right? You just need one or two people, A, again, to make those new friendships and then B, and a distant B to set off this karmic uh, boomerang, right? And again, a lot of it just starts with striking up conversation, being interested in people. We're going to talk about like what these actual conversations look like. Um, and so then the other way to do it is to think about digital. How do you do this in a digital world? And people always ask, I mean, I would say that in my life, when we traveled a lot before we had kids, before COVID, we would fly to any city in the world and I would do these networking meetings, like one of the, you know, 10 of the 5,192 networking meetings. And half of the people would be people that I met online. Right. And you're, you're probably gonna say, well, yeah, okay. You're an online personality. You're, you're meant to be online. Absolutely. But there's no secret to meeting friends online. So let, let me give you this. Some people think that, I don't know, pick your favorite, Tim Ferriss, right? Tim Ferriss writes a post, a tweet, and you reply, hey, Tim, I'm going to be in Austin. Do you want to meet up? What the fuck do you think he's going to say? He's, he's going to ignore you, right? For a few reasons. One, Tim Ferriss is so much beyond your, you know, your stature in that world. And then B, if you walked up to anyone and said, hey, let's go have a coffee, that probably would, would fail. Right. So if you're looking to, to grow relationships, grow networks and friendships online, it doesn't matter. I'm going to use Twitter as an example, but it could be any of them. It could be Instagram, it could be TikTok, whatever. Here is how I would approach it. Exactly like you do in real life. Yes, I know. Crazy, right? You wouldn't barge in and be like, hey, come to my house for dinner. No. You would find where the conversations are happening, right? So on social, you know where the conversations are happening, right? You would find where the conversations are happening and then you would listen. You would quietly listen. You would observe. You would capture the vibe. Is the tone very respectful? Is the tone sarcastic? Is the, do they use certain insider's language, right? You would observe, observe the norms of the group. And then when you had something to add, you would add it. That's, that's interesting. Have you thought of it? Have you looked at it from this angle? You might ask people to explain things further, right? People forget that social media is not this one-way broadcast of like Kardashian, look at me, look at me, look at me. It's actually a place to be social. And people have totally forgotten the plot on that. So there's so many, the digital What's so powerful about digital is that there's so many interesting, kind people. There is your tribe out there. If you are a bisexual who loves tat arms, um, you know, tattoos and Brazilian jiu-jitsu, you're going to find your tribe online. They're there. And what's even cool is they're probably like some of them are in Bali, some of them are in Berlin, and some of them are in Buenos Aires. See what I did there? All bees. Um, so that's how you approach it uh, digitally. Now, you're probably still wondering, how do I get the ball rolling? I'm not social like UK. I don't even know where to start. Here's where you start. 
you have friends and you have things you care about. They could be professional, they could be personal, they could be a mix of both. Go to some of your friends and say, hey, I'm looking to meet cool people. Right now, I'm really interested in insert blank. For me, I would say, I'm really interested in joining a new um, fiction book club. See where that goes. Or you could lead with service. Like, yeah, I've really learned a lot about um, teaching my kids how to code. I bet if you, A, had that interest, which I know, shout out Chris, our, our old guest. Um, if you had that interest and you volunteered it to someone and said, hey, I want to share what I know, that friend would introduce you to someone interesting. Yeah, and you could say on the end, like, don't introduce me to assholes, the only people who are nice. So I only want to do this on Zoom. Again, you could, you could start to name things. So that's your homework number two. Think about a few friends that could get this ball rolling. And the, the, the homework is to get connected to other interesting people, especially this is for people who have trouble. They don't even know where they're going to begin. All right. A note about power dynamics. We talked about that Tim Ferriss example. I have flown to places to meet people, right? You have to respect the power dynamic when you're looking to meet new people. So for example, Let's say that some of the people that I have flown to see are extremely successful people in my world. And they might say, hey, we might be talking digitally, you know, the whole thing I shared with you before. Hey, um, I'm going to be in Orlando. That's a little bit of a, a lie, but I'm going to be in Orlando next week or in a month, would you be down to get coffee, right? Because this person, this is someone who I really want to meet. And again, I want to serve. I want to apply all those principles, but the power dynamic is in their favor. Now it's rare that I would fly to someone by using that as an example. You could say like, um, for example, like Bill, Bill Gates, I know he's not so popular these days, but uh, if Bill Gates said, okay, I want to meet with you. I want to learn more about rad reads. I would say, Bill, tell me the time, tell me the place, and I'll be there. Now, there might be a few non-negotiables, like my kids' birthdays, but that's how it be. Likewise, on the other end of the spectrum, I put myself out there and I try to do one or two uh, mentoring meetings a week. Now, that's a lot, right? That's, that's a good chunk that could be 5% of the total meetings of the 5,192. And people reach out to me all the time. And there, then I used to say back in the day in New York, because oftentimes they're like younger finance folks who wanted to leave, I would say, and, and some of you listening might be on, have been on the receiving end of this. I would say, I'd love to meet. Uh, I just became a new dad. Uh, if you could meet me at this coffee shop at 11 a.m. and we'll go for a walk together. And here was the trick the trick was we would go for the walk, but I'd be pushing the stroller and my daughter would be in the stroller. And I knew that at 11 o'clock was when my daughter napped. And so it would make the person come to me one time option. I'm the Bill Gates in this example, not the sketchy Bill Gates, just the OG Bill Gates. 
I'm the Bill Gates. And I said, you come to me at this time, take it or leave it. And again, it's always with respect. And then I'm going to walk my daughter. And I remember there, we'd walk along the East River under the Manhattan Bridge. It'd be so fucking cold. And uh, these young, sweet, many of you are listening. Sweet, they'd like asking the, 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 these questions. You could tell they wanted to take notes, but it was so fucking cold and, and all that. But, um, but yeah, so just remember and respect that there is a power dynamic at play. It's not a bad, there's always a power dynamic at play. Just acknowledge that it's happening, right? You might opt out of the upwards power dynamic and you might lean too heavily into the downwards power dynamic, but just know that it exists. All right. Now, a big thing that we discussed, that gets discussed when we talk about networking is this concept of a personal CRM. This is, a, um, this is the lie of the personal CRM. So the personal CRM basically says that if you're going to be a prolific networker, you need to profusely take notes on everything. And the classic, uh, I think one too many people read uh, Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. And they're like, you know, the secret to someone to building a connection is knowing their kids' names. And so, you know, someone strolls into a networking meeting and, and they're like, hey, hey, I'm, I'm Kay, I'm, I'm, I'm Jill. Hey, Jill. Uh, Jill goes, hey, what, okay, what, what are your kids' names? And you see them like writing crazy fucking notes. Like, that's creepy, dude. Uh, don't do that. But what the personal CRM has, this idea is that you need to take notes on everyone. Everyone's a target. Everyone's like, you got to know them so well. I'm like, yes, you do. It behooves you to understand people, know their names, know about their kids. But if you're a fucking weirdo about it, it's, it's the biggest classic turnoff, right? There are people, and we're going to talk about following up. There are people that send me the same generic message on my birthday every single year. It's, it's a, definitely a male merge. I'm like, bro, stop. This makes you look worse than if you didn't send something, right? So don't be that male merge CRM, personal CRM, bro. All right, let's talk about, so we talked about how are you gonna meet people and let's talk about what do you do when you're in the meeting? And this applies to both digital and in-person, but I'll probably lean towards in-person. Um, here's a starting principle or starting approach is do everything in your power to make the other person feel seen. People love to feel seen. People love to be validated, to be told that they are smart, that they are unique, that they are a pretty little snowflake. I just made up the snowflake part. People love that. Now, again, don't blow smoke up people's asses if just because you know that that's a trait of human nature, but let that be a lens through which you approach these relationships, right? Let it be a lens, right? So a few ways to do that. The number one is listen. I want you to think about when you meet someone, 90-10, the 90-10 rule of meeting someone. What does that rule mean? 90% listening, 10% talking. 
And in those 10%, good questions, not talking about yourself. I know, I know, I know. You're probably saying to yourself, this sounds so hard. I love talking about myself. I'm such a narcissist. Oh, I get so excited when I tell people about my amazing achievements and accomplishments and all the fucking shit I've done. Yeah. We all love talking about ourselves. But how do you build relationships if all you do is talk about yourself? How do you build genuine relationships, right? 90-10. Bro, please listen to me. I met so many people. And they just talk, just talk about themselves. Don't do that. All right, another one. This one's gonna be hard for my Gen Zs. Eye contact. There's a study that said if you break eye contact, I think more than a couple of times in a conversation, people instantly stop trusting you. So if you have that phone, right, you, you, you have the phone on the, on the table when you're meeting someone and there's these, you know, alerts and notifications, you should have your badges off, but they're coming up like, oh, text from mom, text from James, you know, and someone like your Instagram. Every time you look down, you're breaking trust, right? So just remember that eye contact. I once had a friend tell me, he said, okay, something really weird about your Zoom meetings. So I'll do like Zooming on my couch. And, and I won't even set up the video to face. It'll be like half of my face will be cut off. And this friend said, you know, it was like a, a strange comment. He said, could you fix the Zoom thing? It's really hard to see you. And it's also a testament that you are fully engaged in this conversation, that you have not once thought to change the camera angle. Right? So be that person. Do the eye contact. Next, ask open-ended questions. See, this is where it starts to get fun because then you give the person permission to talk about themselves, right? Ask open-ended, why did you do that, right? That's what makes podcasting so fun. Tell me about this. Why'd you do this? What's interesting about this? How did it feel when this happened? You listen to Rick Rubin on his podcast. He does this so, his questions are so short. The shorter your question, the more in words, the more potent the response will be. When I ask questions, when I'm meeting someone new, there's um, a few, few strands that I like to go down. One is I love to understand the decisions that they made at key points in their lives. You know, and if it's in a work on why did you switch from this job to this job? Why did you move cities, move countries? Why did you choose this major, right? Why did you sign up? to be on this board, right? Anytime someone walks you through their decision-making, you learn a lot about how they think, right? So that would be one. The other one, I think this is just fun, but, but again, this is how it cements, um, how it cements that authenticity, that bond and, and really uh, understanding people is understanding like lineages of things. So I was always fascinated in New York, there was this really successful group of Wall Street traders. And they worked at the different big banks. And they were really successful. And they all they were all these owners in some of the biggest nightclubs in the city. If you remember Lotus on 14th Street in the Meatpacking District, um, few few others, maybe Marquis. So this group, 
of traders. But when you looked even further below the surface, you notice another thing. They were all wrestlers from Princeton. So this lineage had somehow realigned itself. And again, do what you want with that information. I just think it's interesting, right? When you think of these later, you know, PayPal mafia or, you know, linked Coinbase mafia. Now they use the word mafia for them. But if you think about how these, this shows the movement and the connectivity of people and of ideas. You actually be surprised. I don't know much about politics, but if you looked at this in politics, it would be super fucking like, you'd be surprised on the, the flow of ideas, right? Probably, you'd probably just trace it back. Uh, to the money. So a few, and then always pay attention to see what lights people up, right? You'll see, they'll be talking and talking, you ask them this question. Tell me about um, the time, why your kids started doing gymnastics. And you're just like, whoa, all of a sudden their posture changes. The volume goes from a four to a six. You're like, oh, there's something there. Tell me more. What that thing made you light up, right? few other very tactical things. Um, people love mirroring. So kind of if people, you know, kind of like mirroring people's body language, mirroring their language. Again, I say none of this to be tactical, but if you're going to have a conversation, just know that this is what, how people connect, right? Uh, mirroring. Uh, another one, if you want to remember things is to repeat it. So they say, oh, you know, little, little Jocelyn won her gymnastics tournament. And I was such a proud mom. And you say, oh, wow, that's so cool that Jocelyn won the tournament. And there you're creating those synapses in your head. You're like, oh, that way you don't have to be a fucking weirdo. Be like, kid name, Jocelyn. Like, no, you just kept using it in the conversation. And the next time you see the person, if you remember that their kid's name is Jocelyn, amazing. If not, oh, well, right? But you didn't have to be the, the, the weirdo with the personal CRM. We talked about eye contact. Um, and I think all, all of this, it's funny. Um, if you go to, I've been in therapy for, for behavioral things with my, my youngest daughter, I'm in marriage therapy. All of these things come up. Make your partner feel seen. Make your child feel seen. If you meet someone new, make them feel seen, right? It's a human need. And again, don't be sleazy about it, but just re respect it. Like that, that's what makes human humans feel good. It feels good when someone does it to you. If you ever have friends who are in medical sales, they are so good at doing this stuff, right? Okay. Now, there's a question that people ask at this point. There's usually younger folks in their career. Like, what if I have, I don't have anything to add to the conversation. This is usually when if you think about the power dynamic, young person wants to meet more senior person. And there's this quote, again, Bill Gates showing up strong in this podcast. There's a quote from Bill Gates that says, he said, whenever I meet someone young, I know that they have something very valuable to offer me, something that only they have that I can never have. And what is that? Perspective. So remember, irrespective of the power dynamic, you have a perspective that this other person doesn't have. And that is so interesting. Again, if you want to put it in transactional terms, it's so valuable. I just think it's so interesting. Every time I meet college kids, I've been meeting a lot of college kids because I've been doing some teaching stuff. Um, I ask them, I have like a, I, we, 
I let them ask me questions because they want mentoring stuff. And at the end, I, I say, can we do a speed round? And so I just, I do like speed fire questions. Like, okay, when you wake up, what are the, the order of apps that you open? Right. And one thing I learned from that, like YouTube is really high. Oh, that's interesting. I barely watch YouTube. Then I ask them, uh, where do you get your news from? TikTok mostly, but you know, that's changed over the years. Like, oh, that's interesting. Then I asked them like, who, um, who's your favorite self-improvement blogger, YouTuber, or TikToker, and so on. Anyway, they have a perspective that I don't have. And it's so interesting to me. All right. So now homework three, I want you to think about what's a perspective that you have that others don't have that would be interesting to someone. Again, it could be parenting perspective. It could be experience perspective. It could be an age perspective. It could be a geographic perspective, right? So homework number three, what is a perspective that you have that would be interesting and helpful to someone else? All right. Next up, we are going to master the follow-up, right? Master the follow-up. This is where at the end of the day, at the end of a meeting, I immediately, as soon as I leave the meeting, I'll open up my phone, I'll create a task, and it's usually just things that I want to follow up on. So as the person's speaking, again, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, see, I'm going to stop using Bill Gates. It doesn't matter if it's um, Beyonce or little Jimmy from the local college, right? I take out my phone as soon as the meeting ends, and I don't start acting all creepy writing, you know, what their food allergies are in my personal CRM. No, it's a task. It's like, how can I follow up in a way that is interesting to them? So again, here I have the luxury of being a content creator and content curator that I could send and a, a little trick here. I use my text expander. So I could send like 15 of my best pieces, videos, podcasts in eight seconds using my text expander, but we'll save that for another episode. So after the meeting, I go into, I had a task, anything that could be interesting. Maybe a book was mentioned. I saw, I read, I heard the author on a podcast. Maybe they had a problem that they were trying to solve. And I had seen a Reddit thread about it. Maybe there was an app that they had never heard of. And I was just sending the name of the app. Usually it's something that came up and they probably, they're like, oh yeah, he, he mentioned that app, that book, that thing. And it just delivered to them. Boom. That's it, right? So easy, so useful, so sincere. Don't expect anything in return, right? Now, if someone's like rude and, and is like, ah, why'd you send me that? Then I'm like, okay, we won't meet again. But I'll tell you, of those 5,000, you know, they're probably less than 5% were bad apples, maybe even 3%. So, that immediately, immediately um, follow up. And so this is again where Rad, maybe this is a good moment to talk about the story of RadReads, the RadReads newsletter, which if you're not subscribed, you should head over to radreads.co right now and subscribe to the RadReads newsletter. Been sending it for 421 weeks and it started as just curation. I just saw interesting articles and I shared them with people. And people said, more, please. Right? 
So if you're trying to build those relationships, curate, curate, and you want to be a creator, not like a, you know, Kim Kardashian type creator, but just you want to create serendipity in your life, curate information. Jeez. There's so much information out there, so much good information out there. People are dying for curation. And it can be the curation after a follow-up. It could be a curation of a simple email. It could be a curation on your LinkedIn feed, right? That is how you serve others. That is how you add value. This is how you build those authentic relationships. Fuck the old networking playbook. So let's talk about any of this stuff, right? Okay. So... Next up, we have the, what I call the flywheel. We're going to talk about the flywheel, which is how to stay connected. So we talked about meeting people, how you find them. We talked about what happens when you meet them. And then we talked about, now we're talking about how do you stay in touch, right? So there's this, uh, this old blog post from my Sean, my friend, Sean Johnson from intentionally. He was also a guest. It's a five, I think it's a five, 10, 100 system, five, 10, 25 system. Right. And there are five people who you want to keep touch in touch with every week. And then there's 20, you know, 10 people that you want to keep in touch with every month. And there's 25 people you want to keep in touch with every quarter. I think I have the numbers wrong, but basically it's how do you stay in touch? Right. So this is an important, this is where most people will just fall off. They can get the meeting, they can be entertaining and, and have a connection, and then they just fall off. Life gets in the way and you lose touch. So I want to start with the story of Ari, Ari Emanuel. Uh, he is the power agent from Endeavor. They bought the UFC and WWF, WWE, all those things. Power agent. He's also in the movie, uh, the TV series Entourage as himself, not, not his real character. But there's a story about Ari's that he calls his network of clients, prospects, friends. You know, this is how Hollywood power player, 300 short phone calls a day. Checking in. How you doing? Everything good? Need anything for me? How are you? What's up? Okay. That's extreme. But... How can we adapt that in a way that is healthy and sustainable and genuine and comes? Look, he's doing that from a place of service. That is the ultimate place of service. Now, I don't know what Ari Emanuel's karmic boomerang looks like, well, how he cares about it, but that is a really power. I mean, if you just followed up, people just don't follow up, right? When was the last time either when someone's like, oh, I'll check in with you in three months and then they never, they never check in. I always check in and people are like, okay, you're the only person that actually says that, that actually follows up when they say they're going to follow up, right? So if you just follow up, you are beyond 99.9% of the people getting hype. I'm not cursing a lot, but I mean, again, hype. Okay. So some kind of system for follow-up. Now I want to explain, this is kind of the personal, I did used to have a personal CRM in my early 30s, late 20s. But I had a unique way of thinking about it. Now, now you're going to hear this and you're going to say, ah, oh, he's he's going against what he's saying. This is so disingenuous. It's so crass, right? But basically, whenever in the old CRM, I actually used to write this down. Now it's just um, subconsciously in my head. I had three categories. So every person had um, 
um, three, four categories. So the first category was what was their function? Like, were they an engineer or a designer and so on? The second category was what industry were they in? You know, tech or media or sports? Basically LinkedIn categories. Important to know, but it's a commodity. That information is a commodity. It's on, it's on LinkedIn. Third category was what lights them up, right? And so this could be sneakers, surfing, food, travel, leftist cause, right cause, causes, on and on. What lights them up? If you pay attention to what lights people up, it's special. Special things happen if you pay attention to what lights people up. And then the fourth category was what's their superpower, right? And so here I had these weird superpowers like, oh, like this, you know, the person that could win Jeopardy, like that was a could win Jeopardy was their superpower or someone who's a phenomenal storyteller or someone who's just so committed. Selfless service was one of my categories. I had another one, crazy creative. Those last two categories, when you look at people, when you see people through the lens of what lights them up and what is their superpower, fuck. It changes the fucking game, right? People don't want to go to a party and talk about how good they are at law or banking. Oh, I'm the best. Well, New York, they do want to talk about banking. But if you ask a banker about his sneaker collection, or if you ask a lawyer about the, their favorite places to eat, boom, they will light up. And that is where the magic of humans, of connection lies. So I would really encourage you to think about just not as Start to see people through these. Ask yourself, what lights this person up? And what is their superpower? It will change how you see people. It will, it will change the way they see themselves. How few times are people asked that question? How few times are they given permission to share what lights them up? Right? And you, listener, can do that with a simple question by paying attention, by being a vessel for their aliveness. How fucking cool is that? Okay, so now that we have the categories, I think I need like a, a break, man. This is fun. You can see, you can see, I hope you can see that I'm not fucking faking this. You can't fake 5,192 of anything, anything, right? So now when I meet someone, we had to follow up now through the lens, not through some sketchy CRM. You just know what lights them up. And then I set up a recurring task. Every three months, check in. Now, three months is the standard. But sometimes for people who are much closer to it, it might be shorter. 
And for some time, if it's like, oh, I met you at a conference, it might be nine months. But three months is the standard. And it's not really a task. I do it in OmniFocus, so it comes up as this task that doesn't have a due date. This is beyond the scope of, of this episode. But basically, I get these reminders. They're staggered throughout every day. New people pop in, and it'll be a reminder. Check in with Jill. Check in with Zoe. Check in with Richard right? And I check in, right? Now, you're probably going to say, well, how do you check in? And isn't it sketchy if they're like, oh, every three months, I get a text from Kay saying, how's it going? Okay. It doesn't work that way. The three months is a backup plan in case you forget. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a story about um, how this might play out. So this is um, my friend, Mike D. He reached out to me off of a viral Twitter thread, maybe six months ago. He just said, hey, that this was an awesome thread. Looked him up on Instagram. He looked himself up. He went through with the content. I saw he's, he's a designer and he's uh, a shaper. He makes surfboards. And we just struck up a chat, Instagram DMs. And it was a very kind of, you know, sometimes he asked me questions about work. Sometimes we would just be like, how are the waves? Other times he was in Manhattan Beach and Mike D and I met up. His wife was there. I was like, hey, bring your wife. I'd love to meet your wife. Um, I'd love for you to meet my wife. Just in the garage. Three minutes. There's nothing I want from Mike D and there's nothing Mike D wants from me. We just enjoy each other's company. And so between... Being dads, oh, we both also stopped drinking. Between being dads, not drinking, uh, surfing, we're in creative lines of work. We both live in California. That gives us five, like, I usually have something along those lines to discuss with someone. Again, a quick text, as does that other person. So what happens is with Mike D is like, you know, we might just randomly text each other every couple of weeks. Thanksgiving, I'm like, oh, yeah. Got a good wave, text them. But let's just say three months didn't go by and there was none of that interaction. Then that would be the backup. I'd be like, oh, damn. I haven't checked in with Mike D in a while. And I wouldn't just be like, yo, what's up, Mike D? What I might say is like, oh, I know Mike D likes these five things. Like, has there been, oh, there was this cool, I saw this cool Instagram video of a big wave server. Send him that. Hey, how's it going? Just saw this video, thought of you. I think 10% of you are listening to this and saying, this is so fucking calculated. I'm telling you, it's not. Why? Because I care about Mike D. We're new friends. We've met in person once. We might meet once every two years. Who knows? We don't live in the same place. It doesn't matter. Right? We're not trying to be best friends. But we have these shared passions. And we like each other. And so the three months is just a reminder. So on top of the three-month reminder, there's another thing that I do. Birthdays. I love birthdays. And I love keeping track of people's birthdays. And not like the mail merge idiot that I talked to you about earlier, I send a video. A little selfie video. I'm like, yo, what's up? Happy birthday. Weather's awesome. Usually some nice memory. What, what I appreciate. I appreciate I appreciate that time you made me laugh and this. I love 
how passionate you are about, um, you know, fighting for climate change, or you just inspire me. Uh, you know, you read so many books, send that video. I've gotten it even more. Um, sometimes I, I'll do it in Instagram. And so I'll just draw uh, like big smiley faces. Sometimes I'll draw like obscene figures on it, just if they're one of those friends. And then you send it to them once a year. Now, if you're only, there are a few friends where it's kind of like, I look in the text history and it's just that birthday video once a year. I'm like, yep, yeah, you know, they didn't engage. Cool. Maybe just shut it off or just keep showing up with love, right? Either way, it's a win-win. Show up with love or just, yeah, maybe this friendship wasn't, you know, maybe this is one that died on the vine. So that is how, and if you want a system, actually, we have the, the Life OS. I don't use it, but if, if you want to, because I don't use Notion for my task, I use OmniFocus, but if you want a, a system that actually does all the dates and reminders and all that, we created that in the Life OS. So, you, so we'll put a link in the description. Um, so your homework number four, I hope you're paying attention. Who are five people that you want to stay in touch with every quarter? and set a three month reminder, start small. Recurring tasks, calendar reminder, whatever works, it doesn't have to be fucking fancy. Who do you wanna stay in touch with? Five people every 90 days, that's it. Start there. All right, next up, another topic that's near and dear to my heart, the MBI. This is how you create serendipity explosions, boom. The MBI, Mutually Beneficial Introductions. Remember I said at the very beginning that there's, let's believe that I have, is there's two people that would benefit from knowing each other. And I'll add that they are kind, curious people, right? If they're not kind or curious and, and they have time, then it's my responsibility to connect them. I love MBIs because when I scan people on category three and category four, what keeps, what makes them come alive? What's their superpower? And then I see that they have some overlapping thing that they're in. They, they, they happen to be lawyers. They work in crypto, whatever. Then I'm like, oh, these two people got to meet. Now, a few things to consider here. First, most, most important, you have to check in with both people. There have been some, there's a lot of strange things that a double, it's called the double opt-in, but if you don't check in, oof, that can really piss people off, especially as people get more senior, always, always, always check in. And if you're in the receiving end of them, feel free to say no, say no, say, I don't have time to me. I it's because I get so many of these requests. I, I know who are my tastemakers, right? My super connectors. So no, rule number one, always use the double opt-in. People will get so fucking pissed if you don't. And, and oh, they don't need to be so pissed, but it's really annoying to be on the receiving end because then you have to kind of backtrack. Be like, actually, I'm kind of busy now. All that. So that would be number one. Number two, same rules up one of the original principles. Don't expect anything in return. Right? Maybe you plant your karmic seed, but that's it, right? And what happens here, if you get really good at this, 
all the people start hiring each other. Dude, I've been behind millions or let's say not millions, hundreds of thousands of revenue, millions of transaction, millions of dollars of transaction because of these MBIs. And oftentimes the, the, the people that, that really know how to make you feel seen will come back and be like, Hey, when you made that introduction, that changed my business. But most people don't recognize that other people love to be seen. And so they, they, they're grateful, but they don't go back and tell you that thing you did was really nice. Comes full fucking circle, right? So that is the MBI. I think I've done, I, I measured it once and I think it was like 2000 MBIs. So imagine the amount of luck when, and, and, and when you do the MBI, they're mutually beneficial. So you're just creating a dose of good in the world. Boom. You're creating good out of, out of thin air. It's fucking awesome. All right. Your homework. I want you to do one, your first MBI, right? Now really focus on category three and category four and bonus if they're overlapping industries or overlapping jobs, right? What makes them light up? What's their superpower? Make sure they opt in though, or else you're, you're hosed. All right, next up, be the hub of information. We talked about this a bit in, I have an advantage because I'm a curator of information and a creator, but I have this thing where if you ask me a question multiple times, if I get the same question over and over again, well, now I write a blog post. Before I would just write it in a Google doc. So we travel a lot. So I have these documents. I'll flash them on the screen. Copenhagen, Bali, Portland, places to eat, kid-friendly museums, you know, parks to go, running trails. Just create that. The leverage behind that is amazing. So that's the first one. Just if you get asked a question many, many times, turn it into a little Google Doc or a Notion page, right? That way you become the hub for information, right? I'll give you a few other of mine. I have um, people always ask about my, my camera setup. So I've got one of those uh, and you can throw in affiliate links. Uh, and then I, people ask me, how did you become a spiritual person? So the spiritual starter guide, it's like a list of 25 resources that I use, po podcasts, books, and so on. Um, so. Your homework on this, homework five, I believe this is the last one. No, homework six. This is the last one, is to think about something that you get asked often and turn into a, a mini resource, like nothing fancy, right? And then you'd be amazed. You're helping people out. You'd be amazed, right? There's a, a woman in one of our coaching programs. By the way, if you want to join a coaching program, it's radreads.co slash coaching, like-minded professionals that are really trying to live this philosophy. But she had gone through IVF and had a lot of struggles and, and people kept coming to her. What doctor did you see? How did you answer this question? How did you do this? She just created the document and then it might turn into something bigger off of that. How magical is that? Now, if you're early in your career, you might say like, well, what do I have to add? And here's my advice for you. I already said you can add perspective, but you can curate information too, specifically give feedback. So 
There was a gentleman who attended many of our live events. He was a lawyer in Germany. And we did a live event and he sent me a two-page email making me feel seen. This was helpful. This was great. There was a unique perspective on this. And then some a list of improvements. Very respectful. Very detailed. I was like, holy shit. Someone actually spent the time to do this? So when someone spends the time on me, I'll spend the time on them. Like that's such a such a positive signal. I'm like, hell yeah, dude. Kudos to you. By the way, reply to your favorite creator newsletters. Unless they're Tim Ferriss or James Kerr, they read them. And if not, they have teams that read them and the teams are instructed to get like the, the nice messages. People, I've started so many friendships off of people just replying to newsletter. Try me, reply to this. We're going to have a podcast uh, newsletter uh, on this. Reply to it and see if it's thoughtful. I will respond. Anyway, this person sees our attends our event, sends this really thoughtful email. A year later, he's interning for us. 18 months after, he's a full-time contractor, right? Shoot your shot, right? But again, think about it from this perspective. This That email probably took him an hour to write. You can't just be writing our emails to internet strangers who there's a chance they don't even read it. So maybe you do one a month, right? But again, if you are a hub of information, right? If it's, you have something valuable, share it and then share it often. All right, next up, we're going to talk about serendipity explosions. This is where you do take all these incredible people and you explode it in a beautiful way. Tell you about a book club that we started. This book club, we have uh, a few internet creators, a digital marketing guru, uh, Bitcoin uh, maximalist, and a biotech investor. And we're reading the Brothers K together. Now, they're all, all five of them are very close friends of mine, but they don't know each other. So I can create the serendipity explosion by bringing them together. In fact, I'm going to make the push that our first session should be in New York because I'll be there for the holidays. And so they should all meet in person. All, all but one lives in New York. Organized dinners, book clubs. We used to do CrossFit, outdoor CrossFit, our, our DIY CrossFit with different um hedge fund investors when we were in our mid-20s in Tompkins Square Park at 5.30 in the morning, right? Just bring the people together, then they connect. The MBIs happen themselves, right? It's magical. The real friendships that persist that then if they need to, they turn into business deals. This could also be done virtu virtual events. And I want to actually take you to uh, a personal philosophy of mine, which is, when it comes to this is do things that don't scale. I love hopping on the phone with people going for a walk. Now I've got to set limits, but it's people, there are definitely people in my position that say, I don't, why would I have a 45 minute coffee with a 22 year old? I'm like, the reason why I do what I do is to have that, a reason to have a coffee with that 22 year old, right? And I hope that you could see, and I do that all, I make 
so many of you have emailed me and re reply with a video. That doesn't scale. I mean, that does scale because it's a video that's easy to send, but that is in the ethos. Do things that don't scale. When you do things that don't scale in the land of relationships, guess what? Your relationships are fucking awesome. Right? And I think so many people, when they talk about networking, they're actually trying to scale it. Now, I, I'm making the case, I'm making an hour long case that it can be scaled. But really, at the heart of it, you can't scale. There's a limit to how much you can scale the enthusiasm and the love that you have for other people. All right. I'll wrap with saying that this is a long game, right? How do you do anything for 5,192 times over a 25 year period if it's not aligned with your values? How? It's just not possible. And because I have never expected anything to come back, when it does come back, God, it's an incredible gift. And I can see that you might still be raising an eyebrow and saying, this seems very transactional, okay? This seems like a machine. But, and, and it can, like you could miss the point of this approach and see, wow, systems, OmniFocus, three categories, this and that. But no, it goes back to that genuine care Right? You cannot force yourself to meet with 5,000 people if you don't care. You cannot force yourself to meet with 5,000 people if you're just going to talk about yourself. You're not going to be able to follow up and wish people an authentic happy birthday or share them that article that you know will put a smile on their face if you don't genuinely care. Right? So yes, you can take this information and see transaction, 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 outcome, outcome, outcome. But what I want you to see from this is you could see this whole thing and just see service, curiosity, love, shared humanity. Thanks for watching this video.